This is ContraZoom, a live in limbo production. This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. Today, even though it's uh, been out for about a month now, I think it's about time that we uh, had the Wonder Woman discussion. So um, we're going to talk a bit about Wonder Woman, uh, some comic books about Wonder Woman, and then sort of transition to talking about some awesome female directors. Now, this week I'm joined by the best person possibly to talk about this, uh, Sierra Nukovich. How are you doing today, Sierra? I'm super, you? I am great. Now, I guess first off, I need to make two apologies. Um, both are in relation to the fact that you managed to not actually be on the Toronto Screenwriting Conference's episode other than the amazing interviews that you did because somehow the computer I was using didn't want to cooperate with me and didn't properly record. So for that, I apologize to you and I apologize to everyone that listened and was deprived of uh, your awesome commentary. Oh, thank you so much. Like, don't worry about it. It happens. <laughs> it does, but I still feel bad. And I was just like, this was such a good episode on both of them. And you had some really great things to say. And that was all down the drain for not, which was very annoying. And one of the follies of technology, I guess. Eh. Well, <laughs> honestly, like it, I, I've, I've done worse. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, when Wonder Woman came out, uh, you actually wrote uh, a really great review on Live and Limbo, and we'll link to it in the show notes. And I don't want you to completely rehash what you wrote, but um, I guess I'll also preface this by saying there might be some slight spoiler talk. We'll try to avoid giving away some big things, but we are obviously going to talk about plot points. So if you haven't seen that yet, which at this point, uh, you'd be one of the very few people that have not seen it yet. Uh, so what are you doing listening to this right now? Um, what it's the, a past man of steel. Get it together, guys. Right. Uh, although I don't think many people admit that they've seen Man of Steel. Oh my god, I I feel like that's not true <laughs> because everyone saw Man of Steel because everyone was complaining about Man of Steel. <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, so that all said, uh, tell me about uh some of your overview thoughts of the movie. What what sort of worked or didn't work for you? Oh my god, I like. I don't think I can think of a single thing that didn't work for me on just because there was nothing. It was just, it's not that it's a perfect movie, although it's like the perfect movie for me. Uh, it's just, I loved that I got to see, you know, like as a, as a Jewish woman, I love that I got to see a Jewish woman play a, a, like this incredible, wonderful, positive action star. And what I love about this movie is that she was very much, a female action star. She's a female superhero in that she wasn't the kind of superhero that she was a, a female character who took on all of these masculine traits and just repackaged them in, uh, you know, a woman's package. It was a woman acting like a woman and being a hero the way that a woman would. And I love that so much. Yeah. I think it was sort of, interesting to kind of carry on that thought where it was uh, a, a woman acting how she would if she had no preconceived notions of what men expected of her. Oh, so freeing, so liberating. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I I quite enjoyed it too. You know, as far as superhero movies go, uh, especially in the last you know half decade plus, it's right up there near near the very top with uh, you know the top one or two ones that Marvel has done. Um, easily the best thing that yes. What are the what are the top two that you think Marvel's done? Oh, okay. I I had originally ranked them all before, and I don't have that list in front of me now, <laughs> so I'm kind of going off of memory. Uh, I really like Captain America: Winter Soldier. Um, I really I liked the first Guardians more than the second one. Um. And it's weird. I, I know I'm not like most most people really didn't care for them as much, but I quite enjoyed both Ant-Man and the Thor sequels, the, the second Thor. Um, obviously, I haven't seen the third one because it's not out yet, uh, but I quite <laughs> enjoy both Thor 2, The Dark World and um, and Ant-Man, which I know is is pretty against convention. I am baffled by you. Yeah? (laughs) I cannot figure you out at all. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Keep you on your toes then. That's good. I mean, I don't even mean, I don't mean that as like a, uh, yeah, your, like your taste sucks. Mine's better. No, 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 no. Like BS (laughs) like that. I just mean like, wow, that's a really like, I have never heard a list like that. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> I just wanted—I just wanted to know what we were like comparing Wonder Woman to in your mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think pretty much everyone can kind of agree as far as the Marvel movies. Captain America: Winter Soldier is probably the high point of of all the things that they've done. Would you say that's kind of the general consensus? I mean, I have different lists for what my favorite is and for what I think the best ones are, um, because. Like, there's some that are just going to be close to my heart. Mm -hmm. And, like, there are, like, qualifiers. Like, for example, I love, 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 love the first Captain America movie. Captain Mm -hmm. America, the first Avenger, is so wonderful. Mm -hmm. But that only applies to the first two-thirds of the movie. It does get a little haywire. Yeah, I think the third act is very weak. Mm -hmm. Except for, you know, the part where, spoilers, they break my heart. Because, of course, they do. Um... And it has one of my favorite characters of all of the Marvel Universe in it, Peggy Carter. Oh, yeah. She, she's so great. So, like, there's that. And then, like, Iron Man is also my one of my favorites. I just – and I, even though Captain Marvel hasn't come out, it's already my favorite. I don't care what anyone says. It's interesting. I'm I'm really excited for both Captain Marvel and Black Panther. I think they both look pretty excellent. But we've completely devolved into a Marvel. Yes, sorry. Oh God. Conversation. <laughs> which I just, is yeah. I just wanted to know what you were comparing it to. I'm so sorry. Which is one of those sort of you know we're we're falling victim to the very same thing where instead of you know judging Wonder Woman on its own, it's how does it stack up against Marvel and and how is it comparing to what they're doing and the trajectories and things like that. And that seems to be a conversation that i think uh a lot of people uh intuitively sort of fall into and i and i i don't know if that's a good or a bad thing yet uh it feels like it's an overdone thing but i don't oh, know it's a it's bad good. thing <laughs> yeah you, you agree it's a bad thing yeah okay and yet i do it it's, it's i know it's it's a very difficult thing to sort of remind yourself oh yeah you know it's based on a comic book so we have to compare it to the other one and they're doing this multi-universe thing so we have to compare it uh so it's a bit of a weird thing um 
Now, I guess uh, one of the things I, I was very eager that I wanted to talk to you about is while I sort of missed out, well, the audience missed out on hearing your thoughts on one of the subjects at the Toronto Screenwriting Conference, which was a talk about the female gaze, I was wondering if you had some thoughts about how that sort of subject translated to this movie and, and how that was handled. Oh, man, I have so many thoughts about how this movie was handled because there is something so I have never seen a movie like this. And I think I, and I'm not kidding. I, I'm not, I'm not a crier. I do not cry, <laughs> but I cried three times in this movie, not because it was like a really emotional scene, not because it was like something tragic had happened, but because I literally was being, was so inspired that I was breathless because I was watching I was watching something that was completely free of the male perspective. And like, it's not so much as that. And I, I, I hate the way I even phrase that because it's not about it not being from the male perspective. It's that it was a completely female representation that was happening on screen. It was a woman, like I, I have to describe a scene. I have a scene for you because it's just, uh, I, I can't get around it because I just so want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. There is this scene um, that happens at the front lines and there's, uh, between the two, uh, the, the two armies, there's, there's this place, there's this part, there's this land in the middle called no man's land. And this is like when the fighting is the thickest and the worst and the most, uh, difficult and tragic. And everyone around her is telling Diana, we need to, we need to cross because they, they have to get from point A to point B and point B is on the other side. So they have to, they have to get through, but the whole thing is that they're like trying to sneak through. And Diana, who is uh, who is in the trenches, and she's looking at these these people who've lost their homes, who are asking for help, and these soldiers who've been there for months, pinned down. And she's just, ah, uh, she cannot, in any conceivable way, leave these people. She just, and that's what makes Wonder Woman such a hero, such a wonderful. She cannot be anything else because that's just who she is. She wants to help. She wants to save people and she gets up and she just crosses it. They're like, Oh, no one can cross no man's land. And she's just like, I am no man, but like not even, she just walks right across it because it's the right thing to do. And then everyone around her is just so inspired by, by her ability to, to do it, her competence and her, her drive that they follow. And and what commences is honestly, the greatest scene in the history of cinema (laughs) where she just plows through and it's so great and so beautiful. And it's just a great, like such such an interestingly choreographed scene. Like I could talk about the fight choreography in this movie forever, Mm -hmm. but this woman, there's been a lot of talk about how, about her, her outfit. She's wearing a skirt and like strapless armor and whatever. But I think it actually, and I was one of those people who was like, yeah, I mean, like female characters aren't characters who choose their own wardrobes. We should be, we should be. It's not like slut shaming to say a character, hey, maybe if, if a warrior would dress more. But it actually worked out really well in the movie, I think. Mm-hmm. I, and there was not a single like upskirt shots. There was no like roving camera movements down her body where the like the camera was acting like a tongue that you get in every single male uh, male directed action movie. There was just 
this show of competence and the the way that the that the camera was positioned was always the best way to show the action. Yeah, I I think um that was something where I agree with you on that, but when I came out of the movie and I was discussing it with with my friend, um I I went with uh with three friends, another straight guy, uh, a gay guy and then a woman. So the four of us were talking about it, and that was one of my things where I was like how I, I was curious how it was going to be interpreted where Gal Gadot still did look beautiful and had the short skirt and, you know, the corset type top armor bodice. I can't figure out the best way to describe it. And all the Amazonian women, they also sort of had a similar outfit where it was all very uh, conventionally attractive, whether, you know, however you want to say it or not, it, it was beautiful women looking nice. So, I was a little worried about maybe some criticisms coming out where it was still a bit of a sexualized movie. Do you have but any? It was sort of, it? I I agree, but I I was worried with the confusion of it, where people still see you know the attractive, sexy superhero woman, and then that's why it was either successful or good or things like that, regardless of plot points. Um, but luckily, I haven't really seen a lot of uh, really anything concerning that so i think that was i saw it very early i think it was the first weekend uh which i'm sure you saw it too and i wasn't too sure how the dialogue about the movie was going to be and and i'm I'm actually pretty thankful that it didn't turn into that honestly me too especially because you brought up a point about how the amazons were conventionally attractive and uh and like still wearing beautiful and i i don't think i agree at all with that and the reason for that is because the, what was so wonderful about the Amazons and the casting of the Amazons was that there were women of all shapes, sizes, races, creeds, who just, and, and most of them, I think, were actually like professional athletes that they cast. Mm-hmm. And th- these are women where, I mean, I don't mean to brag, but um, I'm pretty strong, I would <laughs> say, especially for my size. Uh for listeners, I know you can't picture me, but I'm five feet tall, so I'm not very large. Like I'm not a I'm not a large woman, but um, <laughs> but I it's I've been very active my whole life. I was quarterback my football team, all those things, and so I've had muscles my whole life. So those are things that I've been made fun of for, and to see women on screen who had these bulging like incredible physiques that were just exactly what you would imagine a warrior race of women would would have was just so beautiful for it to me because like women on screen are never allowed to be that way mm-hmm. it's always pretty first fierce second and and that and that's another thing that i really enjoyed about the movie um so in the original, not the original vendors in um, Age of Ultron, I know I'm comparing, but it's, this is actually not a Marvel DC thing so much as it is a male director versus a female director thing. Um, so Joss Whedon was directing um, uh, the Scarlet Witch. Oh, God, what's her name? Uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth Olsen. Thank you. Um, was directing Elizabeth Olsen. And she so her powers are that she's like she controls she like. It's unclear fully in the movies, but in the comics, what her powers are, um, are she can control probability 
in a way. It's like a, it's basically like a reality altering thing. Um, so in the, in, in the movie, it is, she has like, a, it's a lot of like hand gestures and like magic. And she was in this interview and she was saying that her instinct was to make these really intense, concentrating faces that were like fierce and contorted. And Joss came up to her and I was just like, Elizabeth, you, you can't do that. Like it, it looks, it, it looks, uh, looks bad on camera. You like, you're making faces again. And she's like, Oh, oh, I just got so into it. Like darn. And she was telling this, like, Oh, it was like such a charming story about like how she was getting too into it. And the director had to like rein her in. But what I heard was that an actor had an instinct about how their character would be. And the director was like, I'd rather you be pretty than fierce. And Gal Gadot was allowed to be fierce. She made faces when she, when she, a tragedy, cause I don't want to fully spill when a tragedy strikes, she was like her, like her face, you could see it. And she also does like this head tilt smirk thing that I really enjoy <laughs> when she's about to kick some ass. So that's like, for me, peak, peak super heroine. Yeah. I saw, I saw an interesting review um, where they, said one of the nicest things about the movie was we finally get a female superhero that smiles, that's allowed to smile and feel real genuine emotions. And I think, unfortunately, you know, the easiest comparisons are the stuff in the Marvels and you don't really get something like that where you don't get the, the joy, uh, of, of the saving the world aspects that I think Gal Gadot really delivers and it really shows through and kind of gives some great layers to her performance. Was the was that the review of my review of Batman versus Superman? Because <laughs> that's literally like word for word. I mean, I also like wait, like I I when I saw it, I, the only good thing I had to say about this movie was that Wonder Woman was there and that she was allowed to smile. Yeah, um, I think that was like something that when Batman vs Superman came out, when Wonder Woman was easily the best part of that movie that sort of was a good way to be like, oh, we know what's working and let's keep giving what's working because why not? Why would you change something that's working? And especially with with her performance and that minimal screen time uh, and they were able to continue that and expand and make it even better, I think was, was pretty fantastic. Um, I thought... Something that I actually haven't seen really mentioned anywhere else. Um, and I, I haven't read a ton of reviews, but you know, I've, I've checked out about four or five. Um, I think that the film did a really good job representing, uh, people of different races. And that was pretty interesting. You know, there is one really interesting line from, uh, the character Samir, who is in her little unit, uh, where he says that he wanted to be an actor when he was young, but he couldn't because he was the wrong skin color. And this is a, you know, uh, you look at photos of him in the movie. He's a very attractive man. And, you know, that's, unfortunate that he hasn't been given the opportunity to be given lead leading man parts because of his skin color and then you look uh in the background of a lot of the war shots and you see um what i believe to be indian officers because it does take place in england so they've got their turbans on it's not mentioned but they're in constantly in the background shots they're the good guys you know, it wasn't I mean, a joke. There was no comment. Oh, the Indian army's here. It was just, they were there, which is the truth. Yeah. It's something that's so often overlooked. Like I, 
like logically I knew that because they were part of the empire at the time mm-hmm. that they would have fought in world war one, but you never, ever see I, I'm this is background. Cause I, I do background acting. So I notice background actors. <laughs> uh, it's like an issue that background actors tend to be, um, 30% women. And like, I think the, the it's like 8% people of color, which is, insane like that's that's not a representative representative number at all mm-hmm. but so when i when when movies do things like that I'm, I'm so glad you pointed it out because it was so wonderful to see that there were people milling everywhere and even in like war scenes it's like war movies like to think that they can get away with like casting literally only men like um oh god what's that movie uh it's it's christopher nolan's new movie oh dunkirk dunkirk there is not a single woman or person of color in the trailer. Like at all. It's literally every single person on screen mm-hmm. is, is a white dude. So I have to, so I, I don't think there are any cast in the movie. So that's insane, right? Like that's mm-hmm. even, even that time period, like you're, you could say that excuse, but that's not who was fighting the war. Yeah. I think the, the character, the chief was the only one that sometimes verged on becoming a bit of a stereotype, but I think for the most part, why uh, do you, what, what, what did you, what about him did you find was stereotypical? Um, there were just times when they were like sitting around the campfire where he was kind of playing into the trope of being, uh, the wise mystical Indian man, um, and the, the whole, oh, my people, your people, sort of things like that, where I felt it was just kind of veering on cliches. And I would say that, you know, that was, it was only very few moments where I was just like, uh, that line could have been, you know, written a little bit differently to get the same point across without sounding so cliche-like. Uh, but I would still say about, you know, 90% of his character, I still thought was very excellent and was it was a very good representation. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't know if I agree with you on, on like the the mystical uh, uh, native guy tropes. I mean, I think that for, like I I can t- I can see where the movie worked su- uh, very hard to represent it properly. Like for example, when he's speaking to Wonder Woman, he's speaking in Blackfoot. Mm-hmm. So this actor, um, uh, oh shoot, hold on, Eugene I'm gonna look up Brave Rock. Eugene Brave Rock. I'm the worst. It's I horrible. have it open. So he's from Alberta and he, and he was, uh, he was, uh, consulted it about like, he chose his own, his own, own costume so that the, uh, it was more representative of what, um, uh, of what, uh, his, his actual specific tribe would be. And he was cast as, as someone from his own tribe, which is a huge issue in, um, in in a first nation po- in populations where like one person will be cast as something completely different that's just not who they are and he was allowed to speak blackfoot dress the way just how was appropriate and i appreciated that he was a fully rounded character who got to like for example there's a point in the movie where he uses smoke signals so his culture and his history actually came into play and he talks about how how uh, Steve, Steve Trevor, um, Chris Pine's people, white Americans, basically took everything from his people. And it was acknowledged in a way that I felt was very natural. And you can feel his exhaustion without, feel it, without, without him having to, be, to explain himself too much or be resentful. Like just in that one sentence, one, 
Gal Gadot's character, Wonder Woman, was just able to understand exactly where he was coming from, and the audience was able to understand where he was coming from. I think that's very fair. That's a very fair way to say it. Um, was there was there anything else that you kind of want to talk about that maybe could have been better or, or didn't quite w- hit the marks for you? Because um, I, I I think I have like one other thing that like I, I want to talk about, but I don't want to hear what you have to say. Um, you know, I've talked a lot. You can go first. <laughs> um, I, it, for me, it just sort of had to do uh, a bit with the ending. I liked the the reveal of the bad guy. I'm not gonna talk about that i thought that was really interesting um but while the movie sort of tried to go out of its way to to show that godot was saving the world because of the love of humanity uh at times i felt it was a little confusing where it seemed a little bit that like she was sort of doing it for a man which which was a bit of a the, the concern where they kind of had this great you know not quite sexual tension between godot and pine i mean they uh, they did i mean i would i i, I want to talk about the sex scene actually if you don't eat but like we can wait for that <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was just one of those things where it's just like, they, they did a really good job sort of letting it sort of simmer. And then right at the very end, I thought they're like, oh, well, we have to kind of make it seem like they're, they're doing, they're saving the world for each other and not, you know, for the sake of humanity. Uh, and that just sort of lost a couple points for me where I think a lot of superhero movies really have an issue with the third act. You know, you talked about, you know, the first Captain America's third act being a big issue for you. And I think resolving these movies is a, is a big issue. A lot of them have, uh, where it's like, how do we kind of wrap everything up nicely and put a little bow on it? And, and the audience will still be receptive and want to come out to the next one. And, things like that where it's a very difficult balancing act and i don't envy the screenwriters that have to do that but at the same time it did feel a little forced for me yeah i can see where yeah i can definitely see where you come like the third act is definitely i wouldn't say it's like the weaker act because i wouldn't say it's weak but what it is definitely like not as strong as it could have been Mm -hmm. um and it's like, it is up is completely, cause I've seen it three times at this point. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I want it to have all my money. I want, I'm the person, I'm a person who votes with my wallet. If there's a movie that I love, I, I have to give it my money. Cause I want it. I want more movies like it to be made. That's just my logic. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah, that was, a. I didn't feel, I don't think I've ever felt like she was saving the world for him so much as it's like, I think it ties in with what the one scene that I, that I actually wish was different. Um, there's like the scene towards the end where, um, where Wonder Woman is like in an explosion, she's thrown so far away. And, uh, uh, so it's re- a really great representation of tonight is because her ears are ringing. So she, she can't hear anything that's going on around her. And that's when Steve goes up to her and he's like, I'm going to do the thing, the really dangerous thing. And she's like, I have no idea what you're saying. And that's a really great, really tragic moment because that's their goodbye. And she does not know what he's telling her. Mm-hmm. And then a little later, they kind of ruin it because, yeah, Wonder Woman like needs that motivational moment where she's like, I'm going to save 
because I think I think the I think the confusion the confusion might be that she had like decided to save them for humanity earlier than that, but like then the and the realization with Steve was later, so it was like a like an order kind of thing. I don't know, but um, so oh, that there's she like remembers when he, and they said goodbye, and for some reason by the power of her memory she can she can remember what he said, even though she did not actually hear him. Mm -hmm. That's basically what I was talking about. Yeah. That moment. Yeah. I found that very confusing. So the way that I rationalized it in my mind so that I could enjoy it, because I do that was she was not so much that she was, it was able to like know what he said by magic. Although Wonder Woman is pretty magical. um, That so much as she was imagining what he must have or would have said to her. And it was like going on in her mind instead of just like a memory. Mm-hmm. And I think I kind of like enjoy that interpretation more than just like by the power of love, I, I cured my tinnitus. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, that's, it's a tough one to sort of rationalize and come, come to agreement with where we can sort of view it in that way. Or is it, is it actually that way or is it more whether it's, director patty jenkins or uh the studios or or something where it was like we we need to kind of have a uh some closure going on here we can't let the almost like it's babying the audience a little bit i where, know i just i wish they just left it be <laughs> yeah because if this was an indie movie it would have kept it as that, you know, we're going to talk about some great female directors later. And one of the movies that I'm for sure going to talk about was lost in translation. And that famously ends the movie ends and you don't know how it ends. Um, because, uh, they whisper something in each other's ears and you just don't know what it is. And that's sort of, you know, it works great for that. Everyone talks so much about why they love that ending and how it's ambiguous. And then this, they kind of do it. And then they're like, you know what? We're too scared to actually commit to that. So we're going to kind of explain it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But all that said, you know, like I find when we're talking about it's kind of easier to bring up things that don't work because it spurs conversation and we're obviously, you know, look at things a little bit differently, but I think we should obviously mention some things that work. I, the first time was, we just mentioned Patty Jenkins. Uh, her direction was fantastic. She handled the action. Great. She handled the, the dramatic moments. Great. The lighter moments very well handled. Um, there was a lot of humor throughout this. So it wasn't just all, in your face action, there were some great moments of levity. Godot and Pine had great chemistry together, playing off each other and trading barbs and one-upsmanship as far as what they can do physically was pretty fantastic. The whole Amazonian sequence was beautifully shot. Like there, there's so much that this movie does does very well. Oh, it's. I mean, like if I had a list, like a, to list a thousand things, if I had a, a thousand hours, um. Yeah, that's very dramatic. Uh, <laughs> I just, I don't think that a super who, who, blah, blah, blah. I don't think a superhero movie has brought me so much joy since. Uh, I mean, I don't think any ever. It's just there was so much joy in my heart watching this movie, and like that's a thing. That's the thing that a lot of movies like. Uh, 
a lot of superhero movies tend to do now, even the Marvel movies, they're either taking themselves too seriously or they're undermining the moment with a joke. Mm-hmm. And those are, and I hate that. I hate when like you can't just let a moment be. And that's something that I really love about Wonder Woman. And I think I mentioned it in my review is that it's such a sincere movie, which I'm so glad that we're finally allowed to be like, sincere about things again and not everything has to be a weird sarcastic moment and a joke like she could it could just be and uh there's also like the fight choreography which is just next level um there are and i can't believe i haven't mentioned this over the course of this review um it robin wright and um uh, connie connie nielsen thank you uh they're just I want an entire movie about them. They're so great. They're so much fun. Mm -hmm. And it's just older women kicking ass. And, oh, my God, Robin Wright's muscles. Like, it's, like, hard. Like, the older you get it, the harder it is to build muscle. Mm -hmm. So I'm so impressed by her. And she actually, like, does the the fighting. And I also appreciate that. And the language. I can't believe we haven't talked about the languages. Like, the Amazons can speak every language. Mm-hmm. And there's this hilarious scene of one-upsmanship between her and Samir's character, and the <laughs> Samir character, where they're speaking different languages to each other, and it's just hysterical and amazing. And so, and as as a polyglot, which means that I can speak multiple languages, I really appreciate that, because that's, like, exact... That's kind of, like, what it's like to meet people who also speak multiple languages, Especially if, like, you have some of them in common, and then one person eventually wins because. <laughs> but um, it's super great. And um, the last thing I really want to talk about uh, is <laughs> the best setup sex scene in the history of cinema. And what I mean by best setup, I don't mean best, I mean best setup. Um, do, you, do you remember what I'm talking about? Or. Uh, go, go into it a little bit. It's been a few <laughs> weeks since I've seen it. <laughs> okay. So it's like, don't get excited, everybody. It's like a very tasteful fade to black. But <laughs> when Steve and Diana first leave the mascara, they're, they're like discussing, cause you know, she's never seen a man before. She knows they exist, obviously. And, uh, and Steve, but Steve's the first man she's ever met. And he's just like, I mean, he's Chris Pine, so obviously they like are like, oh, you know, I'm above average. I'm not really a representative for like man, and she's just like, okay, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Um, and there's the scene where they're talking about. Uh, she's like, ask. I don't want to ruin the scene completely, so I won't tell like any of the setup. But they're talking about the differences between men and women, and sex comes up. Well, marriage comes up first, and she's like, what's that? <laughs> Which I think is a missed opportunity because she comes from an, an island of all women. Mm-hmm. You, you're really telling me that there's no one with life partners on Famous Gara? I saw Robin Wright's girlfriend. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, so she's talking about this thing where she's like, there are, she read the 12 volumes of like of, uh, of pleasure written by the muses or something. <laughs> and I read this. I mean, I watched this. And I was just dying of laughter because like she's just, oh, yeah. Ple- like I, I you're talking about the pleasure of the flesh. Yes, I know what that is. Like, obviously, I know what sex is. It's not I'm not an idiot. Um, another missed opportunity. I'm just saying to, you know, canonically in the movies, establish her as bisexual. But whatever. Um as she is in the comics, haters. Uh, yeah, so she, oh, they're talking about that, and he's just like, oh, okay, cool. So, what's uh, like, 
So what is that? What do they cook? I think guess I should read them. And she's just like, I don't think you'd like them. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? I, I'm really into like pleasures of flesh. That sounds fun. And she's like, they conclude that men aren't like men aren't necessary. <laughs> that definitely and got that, one of the biggest laughs in the theater I was in. Oh my God. Same. It's just cause how true is that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, kidding, but not. Uh, so, and, and that, so it just, it, it establishes many things. One that's, Wonder Woman has had sex before Two, that Steve is respectful of her boundaries. Cause he doesn't really, cause that's like, it's, that's more about the scene that he like pushes her, but like, he doesn't push her about anything or like make her uncomfortable. See that she's like very curious about, about sex in general. And that, uh, you know, she knows how is it, how it's done with a man. She knows how it's done with a man. And then later they just have this unspoken moment where they're like, Oh, they're like, they're talking, they're dancing and they go up to her room. They like, she's like initiating all of this and they kiss and it's a tasteful fade to black. And I think that's so like, that's really well set up. Yeah. I no, I don't know. It's just like, I appreciated that a lot of work went up into that payoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Um, I think that was a pretty interesting conversation we just had. What, um, what do you foresee as far as the future of the character of Wonder Woman and, and where this sort of franchise will go, especially since we've got Justice League coming out later this year? Are you looking forward to that or not? I am, um, as with all superhero movies that come out, um, I'm tentatively hopeful. They're, they're, right now, they, um, they've changed directors to Joss Whedon, who has recently gotten a lot of flack for his for his what 2006 Wonder Woman script that got rejected. Um, for those of you who have not heard about this, uh, it's a horrible script. Horrible. It's so misogynistic and gross and completely misunderstands the character of Wonder Woman. And now Joss Whedon is doing rewrites to put more... Because what, what happened was Wonder Woman did so well and DC did not believe it was going to do well, clearly. So she doesn't, she probably doesn't feature as heavily in Justice League as, you know, a high grossing movie would, would expect. Mm -hmm. So they're doing, so they switch directors because of a uh, personal tragedy on um, Zack Snyder's part. So to Joss Whedon and now Joss Whedon is doing rewrites and reshoots to add more Wonder Woman in it. So that could be a really great thing or it could be a really bad thing. Mm -hmm. I think so I don't know based on the trailers that I've seen and the track record of the last two Superman movies, I'm not overly excited for it. Um, this is probably a movie that I'll not see in theaters. I'll probably wait till it comes out to see it. Um, I think the cyborg character looks pretty terrible. The CGI on that looks really weird. Um, that might be a function of it not being fully rendered. That yeah, it, it might be. It might be. Um, I, I'm 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 curious to see what Jason Momoa is going to do with Aquaman. He seems to have a good handle on that part and seems to be like a, just a real genuine fan of the character in the comics and is probably going to bring uh, a lot of energy to that movie where he might be a bit of the breakout star for that. Can um, we actually talk about that for a second? Sure, yeah. Uh, I have no idea what the hell they're doing with Aquaman. Yeah. Like, I just, uh, 
Like it's it, uh, Jason Momoa was fabulous. He's wonderful. And like, he's, he's super great. And he's clearly really, really excited. And like, he looks very interesting. And Mara looks really interesting in like the, in the trailer that I saw, but what the hell are they doing? Every single thing that I've seen, like every scene that he's in, in the trailer is baffling to me. I don't know if maybe they're trying to keep some of it a mystery, which is a weird thing for. Like, why is he the weird comic relief? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, the only thing I can think of is maybe a lot of his key scenes are literally key scenes to the movie and they're trying to not give it away. Uh, and they're just really showing like his introductions to sort of set up his character. Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely seems you don't really get a grasp on, on what his character is supposed to be in this movie. They're either him swimming in the dark or him being comic relief. It, it's weird. Cause there's like, you have him looking like someone who's going to straight up murder someone. Mm-hmm. Like in some of the scenes, like he's like, he has like this like determined look on his face and he's like dragging people underwater. And it's like a, and then you have like him, like completely taking the shit out of, uh, like that's not the expression, uh, like completely, <laughs> completely like making fun of Batman. Which let's be fair, Batman needs to be taken down a peg or four. Mm-hmm. But it's just so inconsistent and strange, and it seems like, like actually, I, I've changed my mind over the course of saying the sentence. I'm completely on board with every single member of the Justice League just being just making fun of Batman and just being like, <laughs> I know you really want to be team dad, but you don't make enough puns. So we're going to make them about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I sidetracked us. <laughs> yeah. So like, I have, I have no idea if this movie's going to be good or not. Um, I'm going to wait to see, you know, what reviews and word of mouth is, but like, I, at this moment, have no plans of seeing it in theaters. What do you think Wonder Woman 2 is going to be about? That, you know, I think that's a good segue for something that I think you could probably answer better. Because I know nothing about the character. This and Batman vs. Superman was my first real introduction to her. You know, like I've seen comic panels and read some but like i never watched the old tv show and i've never read full graphic novels because i don't like i never was huge into comics so i can probably count the amount that i've read on one hand um so i'm i'm far from an expert uh, or even knowing anything so i really don't know where they're going to take it you know it seems sort of similar with the first captain america where they do it set up the origin story way in the past uh and then they're going to bring the character more to the present uh i know they've talked about potentially doing sequels in different decades before the present which would be interesting but i'm you know i guess what would a present day a wonder woman movie look like what would a present day one Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's that's tough because I I don't think we've seen enough to for me to really have an idea of what that would entail. I one one of the things I like about the Marvel movies is some of them take on a pure genre spin. 
And by doing that, it kind of separates themselves a little bit, but also sort of allows a bit of a template to be laid that um, is very enjoyable. So if there is maybe some sort of a, a, a genre spin on the character, I think that would be pretty interesting. But mm-hmm. like I was saying, you are the expert, you know, I know you want to recommend some some comic books or, or graphic novel stories uh, about Wonder Woman uh, if people want to learn more. But uh, do you have any any thoughts about that question? Um, I think that I honestly I could not tell you what mo- actually I couldn't tell you what modern day Wonder Woman would look like because I don't know what they're doing in the DC universe as far as uh, individual movies go because they're like the whole thing is that Wonder Woman is so larger than life. So very much a, like a big player in the same way that Superman is. She's a global hero. So it's strange. It's like, I don't know how they're going to coexist outside of a, of team up movies because the conceit would be, Hey, if I run into trouble, I can just call up all my buddies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's a similar. It, it, Marvel has a similar problem, but because they tend to deal with very personal problems, it's not as much of an issue. But um, yeah, I think that the, like I know I I know that I have things that I want from a Wonder Wonder Woman sequel. Like I want them to establish that what they meant by that she's Zeus's daughter is that he literally breathed life into her just like her mother always told her. It's just that that also makes her, that makes her like an Athena-like character. Not Because I, I, I just don't want it, I don't know what it is, but I really don't want Zeus and Hippolyta to have had sex. I don't want it to be like a weird, like old romance between them because I feel like that takes away from Wonder Woman's backstory as shaped in the image of women. Mm-hmm. Of like literally shaped from clay in the image of women, and I, I don't know. I just think it takes something away from it. To although, what is more in character than like for Zeus than you know getting someone knocked up and then dying? <laughs> uh, so I want that. I also want her to be uh, kind of like so in, in the comics. Wonder Woman is kind of like a UN, UN She's an ambassador. That's what she is. So a huge, huge part of like, her character is that she goes all over the world and she advocates for women. She advocates for people in general, but um, she just like gets to meet all these kinds of people. And like, what I really enjoy is that she has like different costumes that suit her different needs. Like for, uh, for example, she goes to a, um, a Muslim country and she, she wears, she has like a uniform that has a hijab, which I just found like, it's just a very inclusive version of her. And I really like that. Um, shall I go into recommendations? Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's a good thing because we obviously don't have an idea of where they're going to go next with this, especially because DC doesn't seem to have an idea of where they're going half the time. Um, God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> just figuring it out on the fly. Um, but yeah, you're you're a huge Wonder Woman fan, and you mentioned that you want to make some story recommendations so people don't want to learn more about the character and read some more awesome stories. What, what do you suggest? Um, I would say these are pretty good intro stories. So something you'll notice is that Wonder Woman, depending on the writer, has kind of like inconsistent portrayals. Um, and 
uh, the nature of comics is that you have like sometimes one writer writing for several volumes. So sometimes it's hard to recommend with a specific story. Mm-hmm. So a general one-on-one writer that I recommend is Gail Simone, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal writer. She's, if you liked Deadpool, the reason that you like Deadpool is because Gail Simone ha- helped to shape him to be what he is instead of like what he was originally created as, which was kind of just like a smart ass. Um, so there's that. And, um, she's also basically like the mastermind, but I'm behind, um, uh, birds of prey. And also, uh, I, she's a huge reason why people still love Batgirl. I mean, Batgirl, Barbara Gordon is one of my favorite characters of all time. Um, so definitely anything by Gail Simone. Um, if you're looking to get into, um, new 52, there's, I believe there's new continuity now, but, um, in the comics right now, the, uh, you know what? Never mind. We're just going to go with, uh, Brian Azzarello's, uh, run on Wonder Woman. Cause it's a pretty good intro. It starts from square one without, without it being an origin story. So if you start with issue number one of Brian Azzarello's run, you get a, uh, quote unquote new origin without actually having to watch the origin. Which um, I, get, I, I can get with, like, you know, it's, we've watched Spider-Man getting bit by the spider and Uncle Ben dying eight times at this point. <laughs> so I get it. It's like, if you, that, so that's my recommendation for that one. Um, if you're a huge Batman fan, um, as well as a Wonder Woman fan, I really enjoy every time that they interact. I just, I think that those characters play off of each other really well. Because they're both, the Trinity which is how people refer to Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman, because they're like the the foundational pillars of the Justice League and the DC universe as a whole, generally speaking. Um, they have a really great dynamic, the three of them. And uh, like when they're one-on-one, they also have really great chemistry. Um, so uh, the Hecatea, I'm pronouncing this so wrong, I'm sure. The Hecatea, which I'm is I'm not going to correct you. <laughs> H-I-K-E-T-E-I-A, uh, written by Greg Rucka and drawn by J.G. Jones is a story about Batman who is, well, it's mostly about one woman, but Batman is pursuing a a criminal who is a woman and she, she, he wants information from her. And, uh, this woman, she goes to wonder woman and she, she pledges fealty in exchange for her protection. And this is where you get, these, this really incredible interplay between these two characters, vastly different worldviews. So Batman is all about justice and uh, the law, even though like he obviously like whatever, he's a giant hypocrite, but, um, and Wonder Woman is very much about protecting and doing the right thing and, uh, and living by your word. So you have, uh, you have, a those those different viewpoints chafing against each other, which I find really interesting. Um, also, this is like the best. Whenever I recommend this to people, because I recommend this to people all the time, uh, I wish I could show you the cover of it because it's what always convinces people to watch it. It's basically Batman lying on the ground with Wonder Woman's foot on his head, like she's just standing on him because like Wonder Woman could kick his ass, mm-hmm. and I enjoy that. So, and it's just a, it's just a great image. You know, it's pretty iconic to me. Um, my next recommendation is, um, JLA, a league of one, which is basically, 
if you ever wanted to see Wonder Woman fight a goddamn dragon, even if you didn't, now you probably do. So it's basically about how Wonder Woman, there's like this prophecy and, um, in, uh, that like the, like the JLA, the Justice League of America will die if they fight this thing. And, uh, she wants to prevent her, her loved ones. Cause she loves these people. That's the great thing about the JLA. They're a team and they all care about each other. Um, she wants to prevent them from dying. So she just decides to do it her damn self. And, uh, it's really adorable art. I really, it's also just like a great wonder woman story and a great, great scenes between them. So, uh, I'm, I'm noticing a, th- a theme in my, uh, in my recommendations where it's just Wonder Woman kicking the ass of the other members of the justice league <laughs> because, and I, and I say this is like a theme because here's my third recommendation, <laughs> which is, <laughs> keep them coming. <laughs> uh, fourth recommendation, actually, sorry, which is, um, the sacrifice arc also written by Greg Rucka, who is a great Wonder Woman writer. And it's about, uh, it's about a lot of things. It's a pretty long arc. Um, I think it's a four-parter, but um, it's. I think it's probably one of my favorite volumes that I own. And um, in it, Wonder uh, Superman. It, there's a lot of things that happen, but the main thing that people tend to remember, and the main thing that's been a mainstay in comics, is that um, Superman become and uh, becomes brainwashed by not brainwashed, but he he's under the control of Maxwell Lord. Uh, who, who is a name you may remember from Supergirl. He was in season one and then never seen or heard from again. Um, so he's, he can control mine. So he controls Superman and Superman is the most powerful. Uh, he's the most powerful person, like person on earth or whatever. I'm, I'm exaggerating slightly, but like for simplicity's purposes, that's who he is. And the Trinity have always been kind of like rock, paper, scissors in that, um, Batman can defeat Superman. Superman can defeat Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman can defeat Batman. And like the it, the Superman and Wonder Woman thing is kind of like questionable because Wonder Woman is go- willing to go to lengths that Superman will not. So it's it, it's not often the case, and that's where this is explored here. So Wonder Woman to protect the world has to fight Superman. And I don't want to spoil you for the big thing, but a big <laughs> thing happens. So ten on ten recommend. All right. Well, I'm going to have those recommendations in the show notes, too. Uh, so if people want to learn more and read those, uh, I definitely think that they should check those out. Um, and I'll definitely try to check at least one of them out. Um, we're going to take a short little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some female directors. So we talked about Patty Jenkins a little bit and how amazing Wonder Woman was. Uh, She is now closing in on the highest grossing live action movie directed by a woman uh, about to pass Mamma Mia. It Uh, it passed it. Did it? Okay. Uh, Which is a pretty impressive thing to do. Um, and uh, I think we should talk about maybe some some of our other favorite female directed movies. Is there anything you want to sort of lead off about? Uh, no, please go ahead. Uh, okay. Um, I, I think it's it's 
pretty fantastic, obviously, about what Jenkins has succeeded in now. And she's sort of written herself a bit of a, a, a blank check to be able to do pretty much anything she wants now, hopefully, where, you know, once every few years, there's a, a director that sort of emerges that has such a hit for their studio where they're kind of secure in their career for the next 15, 20 years. And I think this might be a similar situation for her. Um, Dare to dream. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, she seems like she's got a really good uh, head on her shoulders as far as uh, what the future is going to entail for her. Uh, as far as the next Wonder Woman movie, where she only wants to do it if it's you know the right film. Uh, she's not just going to do it for the sake of doing it. So I, I really appreciate that. Uh, and I think also really interesting news as far as uh, female directors. Good starting point uh, to talk about is Sofia Coppola, who just won the top director prize at Cannes for her new movie, The Beguiled, which is actually the very first time uh, a woman has won that award, um, which is pretty shocking since uh, Cannes is already well known as, you know, not just rewarding big Hollywood movies. In fact, they usually shun big Hollywood movies. Uh, so it's kind of weird that all the great European female directors or, or from anywhere else in the world have never won this before. So it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's like, I think, I don't mean to be a dick, but I think you're the only one who's shocked. <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, like, this is just, I, I mean, as a woman who like is a writer and who aspires to be a writer director, uh, it just, the industry is not kind to women. Like if you look like e- even things like cons, it canes cons. I'm, I never pronounce things right. <laughs> I just, it's not shocking. It's really sad. And it's, uh, it's just not surprising at all. And, um, like Patty Jenkins, her, the, the function of her, Decide, like say, being like it needs to be the right script and it needs to be whatever is um it's the same thing that made it so that she, she made her quit the dark world she was originally going to direct the dark Thor the dark world sorry Thor to the dark world but the stakes are so much higher for a female director mm-hmm. there are so few working there were there are fewer working now than there were in or twenty years ago in the nineties it's just because and the reason for that is because there's there's a threshold that people that people in Hollywood will accept of there's a threshold of of failure let's say and the threshold is completely different for men and women one man can direct flop after flop after flop but they'll still get work if a woman directs one they're it's like oftentimes blacklisted mm-hmm. and that's why it was so important for her if she sees a danger in the script, she knows that it being directed by a woman is what's going to get blamed. That's just the reality. That's like, that's the fear that I have whenever I see a huge like box office milestone for any marginalized group, like for a, uh, for a woman, for like an Asian lead, for a black lead. It's always, my fear is always, okay, but if this, this doesn't do well enough, are we ever going to get a female led property again? Uh, like an action movie starring a black man. Uh, it, like it's, Things like that were it's it's a very real issue. Mm-hmm. So it's so that's why I it, it's it's just different standards. I I don't know. I like I 
<laughs> it's maybe this is like the fear talking, the fear of my future, but uh, oh, it's a, it's a very genuine concern to have because we've been proven time and time again that that's the case. Yeah, it's just women aren't given the same opportunities in this industry. It's very much like a it's very much behind the times and there are people who say otherwise, but I, I think they're burying their heads heads in the sand. Yeah, that's fair. I I do think that there has been a more recent acknowledgement of you know some of the great female directed films, and I think we're getting a group of names where you know you've got like uh, you know the, I guess the top of the Mount Rushmore would be something like uh, Sofia Coppola and Catherine Bigelow, and they've been around for a long time, and both are excellent. Um, but then we've been kind of getting a lot of more up and coming directors like uh, Anna Lily Amapur, who did uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. I can't remember her new movie that's just coming out now. Uh, Jennifer Kent, who did The Babadook. Ava uh, DuVernay, who did. Um, uh, what was the name of that movie? Selma in the documentary 13th. Uh, Kelly She's Reichert. also been around for a while, though. She has, but uh, Selma was her first uh, feature released movie that she did. Um, so it's kind of like she's still sort of... I, I would consider her more of a a new to the... Not in, in terms of resume, but just as far as acknowledgement by the public goes, mm-hmm. where she's still pretty fresh and new for that because Selma was only a couple years ago. And then like someone like Kelly Reichardt, who's also been around for a long time, but finally seems to be getting her due, is looking like a, a really big emerging director as far as the indie scene goes. So it's kind of nice that we are getting a bunch of these. And then... Patty Jenkins has been around for a while, but Wonder Woman is only her second feature film, which is pretty shocking. The rest of the stuff she's done has either been TV movies or TV shows or short films. So the fact that she's only done two features, Monster and Wonder Woman, is pretty damn impressive. Yeah, I mean, and what a, and what a, like, a debut Monster was. <laughs> I mean, Monster completely like changed so many things, not the least of which was that Charlize Theron was, is like, that was like the turning point for her where she finally started being treated as a contender as like more than just a pretty face. And I genuinely believe that monster is the reason that we got Mad Max Fury Road. And for that, I, uh, oh man, (laughs) I will be eternally grateful. Mm -hmm. It's also just a great, excellent, horribly upsetting movie. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned Catherine Bigelow as, you know, if you want to make a Mount Rushmore of a female director, she would probably be up there. I was I'm kind of interested to see what you think. I almost feel like her success is a bit because I think she she learned how to play the game as far as not letting sexism get in the way. Uh, but at the same time has been most successful making movies in what would best be described as uh, male-dominated genres. So, you know, um, she won Best Director for Hurt Locker. War movies typically aren't directed by women. Uh, Point Break is was her, you know, one of her big early successes, and that's a 
uh, an action movie and things like that. And of course, Zero Dark Thirty, which is a little bit different than quite a bit different than Hurt Locker, but still is very much a war movie as well. Uh, so it's sort of interesting. Uh, maybe what are your thoughts on that idea that maybe she's obviously picking subject matters that she wants to be involved in, but seems to have figured out how to play the game in order to make her career successful as well. Um, I can't speak to her knowing how to play the game because I don't think I've ever seen an interview of her speaking about her experiences as a female director and how difficult it is to get her movies made. Um, I think up on some level, everyone has to play the game in an industry like this because it's just, it's not like, it's not like a lot of other jobs where it's just like you have very clear you have, have like a very clear set of characteristics or like a track record that you can point to and say, I am the best person at this. Mm-hmm. It's so much a subject objective thing. And you have a few, like a handful of people at the top who tend to be really old out of touch white dudes. Let's be real. Um, who are deciding who gets control of these properties, who's, uh, it's changing now, especially because there's so much more, so many more stu- or independent studios who are getting, who are fighting to get content made. And we spoke about that in um, in the um, Toronto screenwriting episode, in conference episode. Um, that, but and, and like a lot of the time, you I mean, you need to be attached to a project to act that and fight to get that project made. So I think that in some ways, she's. Re- she's just incredibly talented and she is an exception to a, to the, to the rule of, you know, I mean, even then she's not the exception because it took so long for her to be recognized, even though she should have been considered one of the greats long ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, her, her, the movie she picks, if you, if you look at her, her like resume, they're all things that are just so undeniable in their subject matter that like, of course they got made. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, not of course, because there's no of course about any any project. But um, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she's she's definitely an interesting case, and I think she would probably she's she's the type of director that you can't really compare anyone else to her. She's really sort of on her own as far as what she's both accomplished and the way that she has worked. So it's it's really sort of difficult to to draw parallels with with other people. I would say that she is if I had to compare her to someone, I would say that she is a less emotional um Spielberg. Like Spielberg is all about emotion, so mm-hmm. that like that comparison might not make a lot of sense. But in like the visual sensibility and the way that they compose shots to show the most possible, but to also communicate disorientation, mm-hmm. like um, it, there's like in the Hurt Locker, they the um, there's a there's a lot of like the way the way that camera movement is used is like is used to disorient. It's used to communicate what war is like in such a talented, deft way without without the audience becoming lost. And I think that the Hurt Locker actually like changed the way that a lot of action movies are shot in that, like we got a lot more shaky cam, which I think is missing the point a lot, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas Spielberg, if I can compare, like, for example, you know, that shot in jaws where he basically invented the shot where if you're, uh, you're in this, you're in a, you're seated in the dot, in the dot, in the dolly. And, um, they, you, 
like you're shot back while zooming while zooming in and it creates this weird close up thing and that you can see it uh, you can see what i'm talking about in the scene where um the the shark where uh, where jaws like eats a child on the beach and it zooms in on the main character as he's like as like it as like a dawning horror like when i think of like a dawning sense of realization and horror that's the exact shot that i think of that was actually invented by hitchcock and another name for that shot is contra zoom oh my god am i the biggest idiot in the world take away my filmmaker card <laughs> well it's take away my called, cred it's normally called dolly zoom that's how most people know it as uh but uh, the other name that it's called is a contra zoom shot and it was invented for vertigo I did that on purpose. I, I segued it totally. <laughs> but those are literally the two most famous examples is, is Vertigo and Jaws. Um, every once in a while, you'll see it done somewhere else. It kind of like always makes me chuckle now. But uh, but Jaws definitely mastered uh, that shot. Um, some... I feel like I can I can list so many different movies that I, I've really enjoyed where it doesn't matter who the person was behind the lens that they just told a really great story and like I think we can just go back and forth the whole day and really talk about some great ones by their hidden gems or big blockbusters or things like that. Um, but I pulled up the list of the highest grossing movies by female directors before Wonder Woman came into play that these lists were made and I. It's a bit of a weird thing to look at. So in in order, I'll just rattle them off. Frozen, Shrek, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Twilight, Pitch Perfect 2, What Women Want, Fifty Shades of Grey, Kung Fu Panda 2, The Proposal, Shark Tale. Now, <laughs> obviously, you know, that's not like... Uh, there's, there's some good movies in there, but for the most part, I wouldn't really say, ooh, that's a great list. But, you know, anytime you look at a top 10 list of the box office, there's usually going to be a lot there like, ooh, that's a lot of pandering going on in those movies. Um but one thing that I do find that sticks out, three of those movies were co-directed by a man. So, like, it's always hard to, like, in my mind, like, I don't want to diminish or take away what these women have done. But at the same time, it's just like, you're making this list and it's not really female directed. We don't know what say was involved or how much uh, leading was done. So it's kind of a weird little gray area in between. And then another thing is one, two, three, four, five of the 10 movies are animated movies. Now, obviously animated is a, is a completely different ball game. Um, but you take those movies out of the mix and, you know, we're left with so, like not that many really high grossing movies, live action movies directed by women, which I think is, is very sad. And it's great that the animation industry is a lot more accepting of female directors. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, uh, I don't know that the animation industry is accepting of female directors, but that's a whole other episode. Mm -hmm. Um, and a whole other soapbox to stand on. Uh, I, I don't know that it's, here's my thing about like, um, directing teams. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure who you're talking about other than, um, the team from frozen, which was, uh, but, because uh, I, I don't, I'm not looking at the list directly myself, but I, it's like the reason the list is so small is yeah, because as there's just not enough 
there's just not enough because there's not enough women working. Mm-hmm. It's just so to like pad they, so they need to pad out the list. But I think that it, it like when you have co-directors, it's there's um there are, are unions in place that are very very clear on who like on who gets credit for what. And like the writers union is the same and that's why you can al- you can always maybe not always always but you can pretty much trust that the writing credits in movies are uh, attributed based on merit because they're clear on uh, they're based on what you contributed to the final product. So like for example Guardians of the Galaxy um uh was written by uh by James Gunn but before that it was written by um by a woman she was she she did the original original first script and he changed it a lot so uh, Nicole Perlman is her name uh so Nicole Perlman wrote the wrote the original script but she she doesn't have a co- of a comic sensibility background so it was given to James Gunn to kind of like edit and to add to things. And he says he, he tends to diminish, diminish her contributions to the final project, but her name is still co-credited. And, uh, that's, that's a very strong statement to me. So for things like, uh, what for, for a woman to still, and to still be credited as co-director is important. And I don't, and like, even though it's like hard for us to say who did what, those movies are still injected with female sensibilities a female perspective and a female lens on, on the camera. So I, I think it's like, it's small victory, but they, they I, I have to, I have to count it. No, yeah, no I, I think, I think that's a very good point. I think it was more just me. What, how, how do I sort of frame this? How do we look at this list? What do we, how, how are we supposed to receive something like that where, you know, not all of it is purely directed by women that, you know, the top two movies are, co-directed by by a man so it's i don't know are you supposed to look at as it bit of a tarnish the list or, or it's such a weird thing where i just don't really know what to think about it um i think i mean i i can't tell you what to think about it but i can say that it's uh a lot the the highest grossing things tend to be franchise things mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a big contributor. It's also that a lot of movies aren't willing. I mean, not a lot of movies. A lot of studios aren't willing to put the money behind untested properties. So until women are given the opportunity to be tested on the same level, until women's projects are being made, until women are given franchises like Wonder Woman, which is what we're seeing now, until like I, I, I don't think that we're going to get uh, an appropriate list because it's like you can like you can say pull yourself by your up by your bootstraps all you want you can say oh well like women just need to like work for more and keep going going but at a certain point there's a certain level of in this industry where it's so uh, these are these are jobs that are given to people it's Mm -hmm. not they're not always jobs that are earned Mm -hmm. so i think a huge milestone would would be to have a like for example i i want all i want all I want is for a woman to direct Star Wars. Just a Star Wars movie. Just give me one woman writer and one woman director. It's really sad that I have to beg for this, mm-hmm. but that's what I want because I think that would be like a, such a huge, huge deal because it's Wonder Woman's great and Wonder Woman's wonder, wonderful and I'm so glad it exists. But it's also a movie about women, for women. I mean, for, for everyone, really, because like 
look at the box office. Clearly everyone is seeing it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's still like, it was what well, I can see from the, from the studio perspective, how it was considered a quote unquote woman's movie. So it's in the vein of like how a lot of those are like, like twilight, which I don't want to undermine the importance of the first twilight movie. It had zero budget. And like it, it uh, oh my gosh, what's her name? Catherine Hardwick. No. Is, is that who? No, it was a, uh, yes, it is Catherine Hardwick. She just changed her name. Sorry. Um, Yes. So Catherine Hardwick, she, it has, say what you want about it. They're not great movies. And that's it almost entirely due to the source material, but she, they have a distinct look. They're, they're very like true to the spirit of the books and they have a, have a unique perspective. It's a very competent piece and it, like it exploded. And that was like, a we, the reason that we get things like Wonder Woman is because we got things like the Hunger Games, because we got uh, because because we got things like Pitch Perfect, and because the reason we, the reason we got those things is because of Twilight, because people saw we like people saw that uh, women at the box office, young women particularly, have a voice, have that have have money to spend on properties that are about them, and we're getting we're getting what we have now because of Twilight, and I think that that needs to be acknowledged. All right, that's that's a some great. That's my hot take. <laughs> no, I think I think that's some great insight. Um, and you know, we can be dismissive all we want of you know a movie like Twilight, but it was successful for a reason, and it did really sort of pave the way for a lot of things that came afterwards, whether you want to admit it or not. Um, I think to maybe wrap some things up, is there some movies you might want to recommend or some personal favorites of yours that you just want to give some shout outs to? Uh, I mean, I have like favorite movies, like I can go on all day, but, um, my favorite, like some of my favorite movies directed by women would probably be, um, uh, the piano by Jane Campion. Mm. So that's, if you want to like be deeply upset, just watch anything by Jane Campion, but it's like a beautiful movie, just like visually stunning. It takes place in New Zealand, which is like a super fun um, like Ireland and New Zealand, but mostly New Zealand. So you get like this lush colorscape and, um, it's like it, it, the acting is incredible. Like, so this, this main character, like the main character is mute. Um, and like the range of acting that happens just silently is so impressive. Like, uh, I just, ho- Holly Hunter, I don't, I don't even know. I, I no one can touch you. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, recently, so I'm a little obsessed with Broadway, and um, I saw Waitress for my birthday a few months ago. And Waitress is a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful musical uh, written by Sarah Brellis, who is so talented and just, just it's so beautiful. If you just listen to the soundtrack, but um, this. Uh, the, the, it's this play is based off of a movie called Waitress, and it's written by it's written and directed, and starring Adrian Shelley, uh, who um, she's a. She, it's a shame because she was uh, her her career was cut off very young because it's a very tragic story. She was she was it was like a freak thing. She was at the wrong place at the wrong time and was murdered by um, 
some guy who is like stealing something from her neighbor. But um, the movie is so it's about a, a woman uh, played by Carrie Russell who um, she's in an abusive relationship. She works at a pie shop, like at a, at a diner and she bakes pies for the diner and she, she becomes pregnant and it's, she really, it's, it's her journey of, she's, she wants a better life. She wants to, she wants to leave her husband and this baby is a huge complication. So on so many levels, she resents it, but at the same time, she's not willing to get rid of it. And it's just, and she starts up an affair with her doctor and it's just a really interesting story that you don't see told often about what, about being a mother, about taking hold of your life, about making, about finding some small happiness in difficult situations, but also the difficult relationship that an unwanted, like the difficult situation of an unwanted pregnancy. And I've never seen a take like this. So we lost a lot when we lost her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I watched that for the first time uh, a few months ago. Uh, And while I thought it was a little silly at times, I thought the story was excellent and she had a a great flourish behind the camera uh, that I would have loved to see explore and go further. So that's definitely is a real shame. And I believe that, she uh, died before the movie even came out, so I don't think she saw the the one hundred percent finished product, which is even sadder. Yeah, but on that note, she does have a an organization um, in her name, and it's to promote women in film filmmaking. So it's called the Adrian Shelley Foundation, and they it's a nonprofit organization, and they. They basically support film women filmmakers. They fund, uh, they like have grants to fund their projects. They have um, they have events to uh, get young women involved and to become the future of filmmaking. And I'm I'm glad that uh, that something like that exists in her name because I think that's something that this woman who worked so hard to she wrote pretty much all her own and directed all her own projects. So I think that's something that she probably would have wanted. Nice. That's good to hear. Uh, I think some of my favorites, uh, last year movie came out by Kelly Reichard, a movie called Certain Women that I loved. Uh, and I, I definitely have to do a dive now into her filmography and see some of her earlier works because she seems really interesting with what she's doing and the way she tells stories, very personal. Um, what, what are some other? I really liked an education from a few years ago. I thought that was a fantastic movie. Uh, Selma, of course, you know, was amazing. It was was definitely, unfortunately, mostly shut out at the Oscars, and she should have been nominated for best director, and that should have been nominated for best picture. Um, Catherine Bigelow, I think my favorite of hers is Zero Dark Thirty. I like that even more than The Hurt Locker, uh, mostly because of Jessica Chastain's performance and that that was just such a powerhouse. Uh, but yeah, like I, I think we can, we definitely could go back and forth all day about what some of our, our favorites are that are good recommendations to check out if you have not seen those. Um, but all in all, I thought this was a, a pretty interesting and great conversation. So I want to really thank you for coming and talking and sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom. 
My pleasure. Thank you for giving me the soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, so like I mentioned earlier, uh, in the show notes, I'm going to link Sierra's re- review for Wonder Woman, uh, going to list her recommendations for more Wonder Woman stories for you to check out. Um, so please definitely go in and read all of that. Uh, go to liveandlimbo.com and that's where it'll be. Uh, please subscribe on iTunes. That'd be awesome. And keep letting us do what we're doing and having fun. Uh, so thank you so much, Sierra. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>